Welcome to On the Other Side, where we talk crypto, culture, and society, and explore how crypto might shape society and change how real humans live their actual lives. This week's episode is a special edition, which is going to be a recap on ETH Denver. So I did not go to ETH Denver, but even when I do go to conferences, I always feel like my mind is leaving swirling. There are usually a few key themes and things that I'm leaving the conference with. And so I wanted to, A, address my FOMO by having LDF on the show to tell me about Denver. I can live vicariously through her. But also want to just unpack a little bit of what she saw in Denver, what the vibes were like, what the conversation was like. And I feel like these events are often a really good uh, pulse on how the space is feeling and, and what ideas are swirling around. So I hope you enjoyed this recap. And yeah, LDF is just so fun to chat with. So hope you enjoy. So I want to do the full breakdown of the vibes, the things people were talking about. Maybe first we can start with like, what was the vibe? How is it feeling? What was the energy like? The energy was honestly so high. Like I was not necessarily looking forward to going to Denver because I feel like East Denver is the mark of the conference season, like starting again. Mm. And so before big events, I always have a little bit of like social anxiety of like, here we go again type thing. Um, but as soon as I got there, it was like, I felt like you're the one who described meeting other people in person as like a cuddle puddle. But that was the <laughs> vibe. It was like, we all just kind of melted as soon as we saw other people that we either know or haven't seen in a while or, uh, or we're meeting in person for the first time. And there was not a single mention of prices. There was not a single mention of like the market. It was honestly beautiful is the vibe that I would describe it as. I love that. And I also feel like the last couple of years of conferences have been kind of chaotic because we were in like a bull market and everybody was like, you know, minting shit and doing things and that was fun. But I also feel like there's a little bit of like a vibe shift in – I don't know. It feels like everyone's like in their healing process, weirdly. Yes. You, you know, know what I mean? when the group chats start to transition like from side events that are focused around like happy hours to who wants to go to the sauna tomorrow or like who's, mm. you know, going to go skiing next week or who wants to go like to an energy healer. I was like, this is the <laughs> energy that we needed. And yeah, to your point, it was also very nice to not there wasn't this split even. I'm sure there were people there that were new um, to crypto or like the Ethereum space or were there to learn about tools. But for the most part, it felt like people weren't trying to convince anyone who was there about any kind of technology. It was really about like, what have we been seeing in the past couple of months that's either been working or hasn't? And then how do we 10x those use cases that we've actually found because they're few and far between so mm. um it really was like nice to be forward looking instead of looking backwards and trying to like educate people to get up to speed on where the people in the room or on the stage were it felt like the the gap between the audience and the people that were speaking was a lot smaller than what i've seen in previous conferences mm. yeah i feel like I'm definitely mentally realizing like I'm I'm in this transition of moving away from 
this like crazy sort of like chaotic but negative connotation not chaotic in bad <laughs> chaotic bad <laughs> approach um more into like this like reflective sort of state that you're talking about and I'm curious like what are you mentioned people saying okay we're doubling down on what's working and sort of ditching everything else like what's the consensus on what is working <laughs> merch I guess is one <laughs> what else it's so funny because in that same breath I will say that the common thread of the week was like, we do not have users. We do not have adoption. We do not have product market fit. And so it was like almost relieving for people to admit that fact. And that's why mm. it kind of felt like we were forward looking instead of being like trying to convince everyone that this is the future, right? Like, no, there's all these possible things that we could do with crypto and, you know, like blockchains could do X, Y, Z. It was like, listen, there's not that many people here. We need to be able to start actually making making the things that matter to the people that are here like more tangible. So for example, like like I said, a lot of people are friends at this point. Like you mentioned, we, mm -hmm. you know, have met each other on the internet or have participated in DAOs together or have worked together and then switched jobs or have been to a number of different conferences and met the same people a couple of times now. And now it's like, okay, I have a fairly good lay of the land of the companies that exist that are still here and still operating. Let's say that we're talking about reputation in DAOs, for example. You kind of know the like six, seven, maybe eight players who are sitting next to each other. And because you know the people that work at those companies, you know their mission, you know that they're like good people for the most part. Um, a lot of people even on stage were like, what does the stack look like for an individual to interact with a bunch of these different tools together as opposed to mm -hmm. like them standing up there and being like, I work at X company. This is what we sell. You should buy our product because you're selling people mm -hmm. who already know what you're working on. And so like the reputation space, for example, was really nice because Stefan from Govern like got up and was saying, we know a bunch of people are doing free work. We know that we can't necessarily represent that on chain right now, even though we have coordinate and we have govern and we have disco and we have our space and we have all these companies that are kind of touching the same problem set. Um, and so instead of people spending all their time on site trying to convince each other that they should work together, it was more like empathizing. And then I think conversations that are going to come out of last week are going to be much more productive because the noise is kind of gone. <laughs> mm. Yeah, that's really interesting. Like the focus on figuring out, okay, we have we've built all this shit and everybody's raised yeah. all this money. Like, how do we actually fit together is interesting. And um I it does make me wonder, like on on the side of like relief and acknowledging that we like haven't hit mainstream <laughs> adoption in any meaningful way, like is is the energy like okay now we all have to come together to basically like make this thing work like do you think that's why a lot of that is happening yeah i do because right now like i said the the audience and the people selling are the same like it's the same group of people right we are both kind of consumers of and also builders of products at the same time so there isn't this mm -hmm. weird like i represent a protocol that needs to get users that are just these faceless wallet addresses out in the world it's like 
who are the users, you can name the communities that you either participate in or are aware of. You know the like different kind of, uh, I don't know, like neighborhoods of crypto, right? There's like people that are super into refi and like people that are working on ZK and we've got DeFi DGENs and like NFTs and governance. And I think people are starting to realize that those aren't actually separate neighborhoods, but like those are building blocks of community that in order to make meaningful things like a conference or like an activation happen, you need all of them, right? Like we were still mm. so frustrated at a conference running around and subscribing to like eight different event rights and not sure which wallet and how much information you want to share with another company. And, you know, like this being associated with your, your work email address and another one with your personal and missing people because you were in an Uber and time slots <laughs> being at the wrong time. And I think the conference made it very tangible that like, if we're building human coordination tools and we all really appreciate these moments to get to come together in person to talk about the things we care about, like, why don't we make our own lives easier <laughs> with the tools that we're building as opposed to these faceless users out in an ecosystem that don't really exist. Uh, so mm. I don't think as many companies are talking about like growth trajectory, you know, and like number of people onboarded so much as, hey, we ran into X problem. Like we know other people are working on this or have maybe run into it too. How can we make it better um, with mm. the people that are in the room instead of yeah, like competing against each other for users that aren't even really out there right now. <laughs> mm. Yeah, it kind of reminds me, David Phelps has th had this really good Twitter thread about like mainstream, basically who do these companies build for? Who do we all build for? Like, and his point was essentially that like, you can either build for the 99% of people who are only bringing like 1% of liquidity. So he was thinking about it as like NFT marketplaces. But I think this also applies for like DAO contributors and people who are using identity solutions and all this stuff. So you can either have like the 99% of people who are bringing 1% of liquidity or activity or whatever it is, or you can build for the 1% of people who are bringing like 99%, which is partially happening because there's so much concentration of capital and labor and all this stuff. Um and his point was, like, he's building for, like, the 99% that was sort of, like, where he ended. And I think what you're suggesting is, like, a little bit different in that you're saying, like, we need to build for the 1% who are already here and actually using the damn things instead of this, like, imaginary 99%. And I think that's, like, a very interesting dynamic. It's funny because I, I think I alternate back and forth between these points of views in that I think the way we define the 1% and 99% needs to be changed depending on what we're building. So for example, like, yeah, I use the example that we need to make our own lives better as people that already participate in the Ethereum ecosystem and are building applications because there's a ton of value in connecting the, like we, we actually represent like 99% of the tools that are getting built in this space. And if we view yeah. ourselves more like a normal person, right? I'm not looking at you as the job that you have or the protocol that you represent, but rather my friend that I want to be able to coordinate my schedule with, you know, and I want to be able to see in person and, you know, like 
even merch, right? We're, we're almost regressing back to first principles of what humans that look more like how we describe normal people or like the 99% <laughs> actually operate. So it's this weird like uh, mental exercise of redefining or defining and redefining what the 1% is depending on what you're doing and what the characteristics mm. are of the 99%. Because in that case, we kind of fall in and out of both of those categories. <laughs> totally. Making crypto people normal yeah, again. exactly. <laughs> We're like, oh my God. It's almost as if we wanted to convene with people that we care about in physical space. <laughs> like, <laughs> So weird. It's a classic turn of events. Human beings are looking for connection. <laughs> <laughs> I love that. And I also feel like something that's interesting that's popping up in my mind too around some of this stuff around, you know, adoption and like crypto people um, going back to seeing themselves as normal human beings. I feel like there's the approach of saying, okay, cool, that means that we need to build consumer technology for like our group of people who are immersed in this stuff and want to use it and let's solve our own problems. I feel like the other side of this that I'm hearing, and I think this is probably common in bear markets, is people swinging to the side of infrastructure. So like I'm definitely seeing a lot more about like zero knowledge yep. proofs, about roll-ups, about interoperability. Um does it feel like there was more sort of infrastructure technical conversation happening than there was last year? Um, yes. However, I feel like once again, these are the same. These need to be more of the same conversations. Like I think where we struggle the most is separating into consumer use cases versus infrastructure because the nuance that we're missing is the infrastructure that you're talking about, right? Like zero knowledge, roll ups, like all of this kind of new these new layers on top of what we feel like we've already kind of cracked in terms of the utility ceiling of the infrastructure that exists and is kind of mature at this point is supposed to fuel new consumer use cases and so i'd mm. rather see people who are fairly familiar with the tools that they have available to them or the ones that we haven't figured out yet say i really would like to be able to do x like Noun stood up and said, uh, or a representative from Noun's DAO was like, we are really struggling with watching individuals um, know what other people's votes are in our governance system. And so like, we've been really looking at zero knowledge proofs because we want to be able to allow people to vote without that fear of how they're being judged and that having an impact on the way that people vote, for example. So like having actual problems that need to get solved that the new infrastructure can enable instead of theoretical, you know, like tools that people don't even really need because there are so many problems that we still need to fix that I think we struggle the most with prioritizing them together. It's like, okay, yeah, we're going to need all of this stuff in the future, but what do we need right now to unlock another group of individuals that might enter the space or to be able to have a couple more use cases that we can show people. Because um, right now, mm -hmm. those conversations happen in such silos that it's almost like screaming into the void for everyone, whether you have a new tool that you think people should be adopting or you have a use case that you don't know how to enable. They're like talking past each other. So for example, mm -hmm. like we had, um, there were a couple of really great side events um, that were going on around the conference, but like 
live peer put on a creator day and then tally put on a dows at denver day and both of those were amazing but a, a lot of times i kind of like to sit in between all these different groups because it feels like they're saying a lot of the same things they just might not be talking to each other at the the right time to make things happen faster as opposed to mm. in these kind of swimming lanes that are really just all part of the same discussion <laughs> Right. Which is kind of a bummer because then we like write off these things as, oh, that didn't work or that can't work when like actually they kind of need to meet in the middle, which sort of brings me to this question around like I think when I first got into the space, um, I was someone who is not technical and I still am not technical and it was a bear market. And so it was very much like me navigating a very highly technical set of conversations. And so I'm curious. I mean – you're not technical and I'm sure you were you were in a lot of conversations that were more technical, especially if we're going to have that sort of cross-pollination. How are you approaching that and thinking about that? I love to play dumb, honestly. Like I <laughs> love to just be like, why does this matter? Or can you tell me mm. a reason or like a problem that this solved? Because I actually think it's good practice. As you mentioned, like it can kind of feel like there's this non-technical and technical audience that almost can't communicate with each other. And so I just like to pretend like that barrier doesn't exist and not force, but like encourage technical people to think through other ways of explaining what they're doing, really having concrete reasons for why, um, and trying to like, yeah, bring those two groups closer together. Because I, I still think that the conversation's are or should be the same. But I know most people are just intimidated. And so they don't really ask questions or they think they need to learn a ton of stuff before they're allowed into those conversations. And I just don't really agree with that. Or I think that we can make more progress faster if we don't put up those kind of invisible lines in between people. (laughs) Totally. Yeah, I feel like I also, even on the podcast, I would love to do more breakdowns of technical things just to be like for my own learning but also because I I do feel like it is it's a little intimidating to ask like I would say that crypto twitter is not the most (laughs) forgiving warm place (laughs) yeah for asking dumb questions at times I wish it was but it's just not I think you should totally do that it would also be really fun to do more like live streams where it's not just on Mm. you to prepare all the questions that either you have or you think other people might have but make it more of a conversation because I do think that it's a really valuable skill for non-tech or for technical people to be able to speak in plain language. Like that's when you know someone actually really understands their stuff as opposed to it sounding really fancy and cool and maybe five people in the audience are following what you're saying. Because we don't even do a lot of, that's another thing about conferences that I'd like to see change is instead of presentations just being given like, as stand and deliver, it'd be nice to know like how technical is the audience that you're talking to? Because we can tailor Mm. a lot of these topics that are hard to fit into 30 minute segments or 25 minute panels with multiple people. Um, I'd like to see more like two way dialogue when we have these really unique opportunities to be in person 
because conferences aren't really the same as they used to be in other industries where they didn't have as much online dialogue as we do. Mm. So I really think that that's something that's missing um, in these in-person gatherings that we should be doing more of, which is just like, we all have phones in our pockets, you know, like survey the audience. How technical are they? Like, what questions are they dealing with? Being able to see that when you're answering a question on a panel would be so valuable. Governance. Governance. <laughs> oh literal. my God, that was actually, uh, <laughs> when when I went to the tally, like Dow's at Denver Day, um, I was on a panel about on-chain governance. And that was something we talked about for like 10 minutes, which was the idea of governance as entertainment or like governance <sighs> as participation instead of just these very serious proposals. That's why, again, like I think letting the individuals that work on these tools in a very serious, technical, you know, like advanced way, really think about if you break down the the actions that are made possible by the tools we're making and how they'd be fun to use. Like that would be so awesome. Like imagine, I mean, we've talked about it even with like joke race, but live streaming other people, you know, like voting on which joke is the worst and winning something at the end of it. Like the the lines are blurring between like media and entertainment and fun and creators and governance and, you know, distribution of treasuries and all of that stuff is just human coordination. So we can we can use serious tools for fun. <laughs> yes, I have been so excited about governance as entertainment for a while. And I think until now, I don't think that it was ready. It was a concept that people were ready to get super excited about. I feel like there's been conversations about it for yeah. a while. But like I think we we took ourselves really seriously. And I think it's valid the way, you know, I, I don't think that's a bad thing. But I totally agree. Like I think we limit ourselves so much by trying to be so yeah. serious about things. And it's just like – at the end of the day, the rest of the world is laughing at most of the shit we do anyway. Like, bored apes, people aren't going, I respect that. You know what I mean? <laughs> like, it, we're not getting the respect of people in the first place. So why not make the shit more interesting? Yeah. Which, slight plug. Like, this is why I actually think that we need, like, it's interesting in the context of all the infrastructure stuff. I think there's a tendency to move toward lower parts of the stack, like, as in, closer to protocol layers or whatever mm -hmm. but to your point around like infrastructure meeting front ends like i think part of what needs to happen is we need more playful front ends yeah. to meet that infrastructure where it's like right now what's possible with governance is very limited because we're using governance tools that are very yeah. serious but if you had like a tiktok type governance platform or instagram polls or whatever it's not just that it makes governance interesting and increased participation or whatever. It's also that it changes what you can govern in the first place. And I feel like that is an underrated aspect of a lot of what like reflection and innovation actually looks like. Especially when you think about one of the questions that came up a number of different times um, throughout the week was like, what is a Web3 native X? Like, what is the definition mm. of what actually makes something we're building part of quote, our space, as opposed to something like Instagram polls, right? Like, at what point 
do we claim it as part of our ecosystem based on whatever values we all share? And Mm. to that point, like we talk a lot about the promise of owning your own data and open data and, you know, the ability to fork and governance and ownership and control. But like, we don't often sit and say, let's assume we have those principles, right? We have the ability to take custody of pieces of information. We have the ability to sign them with tamper evident keys, you know, like, okay, assume that we have that infrastructure. Now, what does that enable next? And so like, again, maybe that looks like a ton of different front ends for any one of these governance structures or buying NFTs or creators or live streams or those things like meeting and like almost two front ends having a baby, you know? Um, we're not quite there yet because I think people are a little bit threatened still that it's invalidating the work we already have done. Um, Mm. cause it's easy to just get used to, you know, OpenSea made NFTs usable for a lot of people. And then you watch something like Blur come along and take a bunch of their market share really quickly and people get nervous. But now how many different wallets do we have? And how many different Mm. ways can we reimagine, even if it was just a pop-up front end that a company decided to put on top of their own application, like we need to start pushing the boundaries a little bit more, or we will be frustrated when someone else comes along and does it. And then all of a sudden we're pouting about what open data meant in the first place. Yeah, I feel like this is another interesting sort of flip side of this whole, you know, everybody's talking about how their stacks fit together, which is like, at the end of the day, a lot of these companies are still VC funded and like need to win. And so there's definitely an element of, I think, like, people getting frustrated at other people innovating on top of this stuff. But that is like the nature of the industry. And it also does push us forward, even if it sucks. Yeah, well, you have to know the game you're playing, right? And so when we start, Mm. I mean, I think it's really great, but I think I saw like at least $3 million worth of grants were given out, like at the hackathons. And at a certain point, if we have access to the same back end, which again is what we're selling with the idea of being able to use the same data in a bunch of different ways and no one having um, that information as their moat as like a platform, then you need to out-innovate yourself or else that's Mm. going to happen in other places. And it really doesn't take that long anymore to watch someone spin up a hackathon project that's a proof of concept for a front end that all of a sudden can get resourcing put behind it. And so, yeah, I think the more people lean into that and commit to the bit, like the better off they will be, (laughs) which is why we should want to use our own tools. Because if you don't want to use the tool that you're working on, then like, why should someone else, especially if we have all this room for improvement in terms of entertainment value and fun and all that stuff we have maybe neglected in the past? 100%. I also think about this in the context of Web3 Social, which I've heard was a big topic of discussion, which totally makes sense, Um, where it's just like, you know, everybody's trying to build their own protocol for Web3 Social. Very unclear exactly how that space is going to shake out but I'm curious what those conversations looked like in Denver it was really refreshing for me to feel like there were a bunch of conversations specifically about creators that weren't 
necessarily sponsored by or put on by the protocols themselves. Because to your point, mm. it feels like Web3 Social is a big topic of conversation that is driven primarily from the few ecosystems that are building the infrastructure for it, right? So like we think of Lens, we think of Orbis, we think of Forecaster. Um, and those are kind of competing entities in terms of their own ecosystems. But when we start to step back from what the implementations of Web3 Social look like right now and focus on the individuals that are able to start showing the power of the underlying technology that we were using in serious ways before we talked about it in a social context, I think that's where mm -hmm. I've been really interested in. Um, again, like this idea of governance as entertainment, it's, it's starting to force people in the DAO space, in DeFi, who are talking about NFT communities to elevate their own thinking a bit more, which I think is net positive for everyone. Um, I don't know how it's all going to play out. Like, I still don't think we found, I still think we're talking about what could theoretically be better for creators instead of showing mm. like what was better for them. Um, I would love to see some more tangible like metrics around how much money people are making. Like, are they able to have a sustainable living on these platforms outside of like grants from the protocols themselves? You know, like mm. what is, I know a lot of them are dealing with like civil resistance right now and people are kind of back and forth on is the engagement that they're seeing real. So I'd love to see some more case studies around individuals that have been able to find success calling themselves a Web3 native creator. Because I think the people that are doing that work right now, like Adam Levy and, you know, some of like even just the podcasts that are starting to get a little bit more traction are still relying on Web2 Rails. And so I'd love to right. see more support for those people to be able to experiment in a way that doesn't make them feel like they have to raise money from their followers to do that. <laughs> mm, yeah. There's definitely some big questions in my mind around like distribution mm -hmm. and whether or not Web3 can actually reach distribution because I think there's like a fundamental... Uh, tension between the idea of building more local yeah. communities that don't force scale and also thinking about distribution and like organic reach and all of that yeah, stuff. Yeah. And if we're going to replace um, that, then like what is the alternative to? Um, I think is mm -hmm. still a very much unanswered question. <laughs> totally. And then the one other thing I want to ask you about is I'm curious if royalties came up a lot in conversation or not. I feel like I didn't see anything on Twitter about it, which is surprising because we're kind of like, I guess, at the tail end of what appears to be like a full ass war against royalties that creators are not winning. So I'm surprised that I haven't seen more on that. Like, are, were people not talking about it in Denver? Honestly, no. They weren't. Interesting. It was actually even a question that I asked. I was moderating a panel and I brought that up um, and no one answered the question. <laughs> So I don't know if people are just a little bit nervous to like in person give their take, but it really yeah. wasn't something that I heard a lot about. Interesting. Weird. Yeah. The one conversation that I do feel like was coming up a lot that in my opinion has a lot to do with the royalties uh, conversation is identity and account abstraction and like 
the idea that we're needing to graduate beyond seeing a wallet as a person. Because I know that was one mm. of the big sticking points with royalties, right? Is like, you can't tell if someone's transferring uh, an asset from like one wallet that they own to another wallet that they also own. So that conversation is starting to evolve in a bunch of different ways. That's like, how do you prove that these are two separate people to be able to enforce something like royalties? Um, but a lot of it outside of Denver itself feels like it was coming down to a moral thing, right? Where it's like, if you can at least see that someone went around paying royalties, like maybe we should discourage that behavior. But yeah, mm. no, specifically didn't hear a lot about royalties. Interesting. That's where I feel like we need to check ourselves and be <laughs> like, how are we like screwing over people that we brought into this industry and how is that going to impact them? Even if we didn't expect the market to act in X, Y, and Z ways, like, yeah, no, we're like, part no, of me thinks it's our responsibility. The next shiny thing. <laughs> yeah, for real. It's just not a good look. And it, I think it's, it doesn't really speak well to how we handle things as an industry. Yeah. Um, but I'm also curious. So we touched on a lot of the big topics that I saw from my like FOMO position of not being in Denver, um, just scrolling Twitter. Was there anything else that like surprised you or that you felt like was a really interesting conversation that came up, um, you know, a, often in Denver where you were like, hmm. I feel like we honestly touched on most of them. However, I feel like leaving, it's more clear than ever that living fully digital lives. I mean, I know you know this. I know this. Like anyone who's been doing the kind of conference circuit, it's like the traveling intellectual <laughs> circus where we just like meet each other in different cities and further conversations. But I am starting to hear more about like people wanting to live in the same place or like really missing that in-person connection or like longer periods of time with people that they care about. Um, and the juxtaposition between not wanting to just have that happen at conferences. So I am really curious about how the even event schedule of this year starts to change to favor more mm. of those like immersive experiences for people. Cause I do feel like generally we're getting tired of like getting jerked around to a bunch of different places, seeing the same people in those places, missing a bunch of people you wanted to see when you are there. Cause I know I also heard a bunch of people who didn't go because they're like, I'm tired of crypto conferences or I'm banning crypto conferences or any <laughs> one of those sentiments. So I'm curious to see how that affects uh, even just like planning and organizing going forward. Hmm. Yeah, I'm very curious how a lot of the conferences moving forward look. I think we're definitely seeing some pushing for smaller, more intimate conferences. Um, there's a lot there. But this was so wonderful. This recap at least helped me fight a little bit of FOMO. Um, hopefully it helps someone else fight a little bit of FOMO from Denver. But LDF, where can people learn more about you and all the things that you're doing in the space? I feel like I always am terrible at answering this. So generally, <laughs> Twitter is usually the source of truth at LDF underscore GM. And then when new things come out, I feel like I just talked about them there. So <laughs> I love yeah. it. Well, thank you for coming on the show, for helping me like fight through my FOMO. This was so wonderful. If you like what you heard, 
please make sure to rate and subscribe to the podcast. I always forget to do this for podcasts I like, but it's actually super useful. Also, if anything resonated with you or if you want to continue the conversation, hit me up on Twitter. I'm at Chaser Chapman. I absolutely love talking about these things. Thanks again for listening.